And so today we are going to continue in this series, and we're going to be looking at a story that takes place not long after the Israelites have escaped from Egypt. And so this story has come somewhat um, seemingly ordinary things in it, but we're going to see how they actually point to something so much greater. Um, And so before I do that, I'm just going to pray real quick. Father, I pray that, um, God, that you would just meet us in this moment, Lord, that you would give clarity to my words, Lord, that it would be a distraction-free few minutes. Um, God, and I just pray that you would guide us as we walk through your word. May you um, just reveal to us the truth that we see um, from it. And so, Father, we praise you, and it's my prayer. Amen. All right, so quickly just to catch you up where we are uh, before we pick up in this story is the Israelites. They have been as slaves in Egypt for the past 400 years. And so God uses this guy named Moses to lead his chosen people group out of captivity. And so after a series of plagues and things that happen, the Pharaoh, he finally agrees to let the Israelites go. And so shortly after though, after that, he realizes that he has made a mistake. And so he sends his entire army um, out to bring back the Israelites. And so Pharaoh's army, they are chasing after the Israelites, and the Israelites kind of get to this point where it seems like they're hopeless, like they are surrounded on both sides. They have Pharaoh's army coming from one direction. They have a sea on the opposite side of them, and so it looks like they're stuck. And so God does this amazing and incredible miracle Um, where he parts the Red Sea and where the Israelites then are able to walk across on dry ground to get to the other side to escape this army that's after them. And then the army, they decide, okay, if the water's parted, we're going after them. And so they follow into the sea. And as the Israelites step over to the other side and are cleared of the sea, uh, the water caves and the entire army um, is drowned. And so God does this amazing miracle where the Israelites have um, escaped and the army has been defeated. And so now the Israelites, they are walking through the desert. They're journeying through the desert and they are on their way to the promised land, the land that God had told them that they would be able to take. Um, And so this is kind of where our story picks up. So this is about a month after they have finally escaped Egypt. And We haven't even gotten to the point of them, like, receiving the Ten Commandments yet. They are still, like, making their way there to that mountain. And so, as you can imagine, after a month of living in the desert, like, your supplies start to dwindle. You, uh, we can go back and look at the story uh, of them escaping Egypt, and it was a very, like, hurried uh, escape. They didn't have a whole lot of time to pack, and so they couldn't prep, you know, for three, four, five, six months down the road. They had to take what they had readily available. And so we do see where they were able to take a few provisions. They had um, that unleavened bread from the Passover um, and maybe a few other things. But for the most part, about a month into it, their provisions start to dwindle. And so this is where we're going to pick up and we're going to look at Exodus 16. um, And we're going to read a couple of verses starting in verse 2. And it says this. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all of the bread that we wanted. Instead, you brought us into the wilderness to make us, to make this whole assembly die of hunger. So pause there for a second. 
we see that the Israelites, they do something that I think that we are all guilty of doing at one point or another. We see here where the Israelites were very quick to forget. Um, I know when I was a kid, my family, every summer, we would take a road trip down to Louisiana because that's where my grandma lived. And, you know, each summer would roll around and I would get really excited. You know, the road trip, my parents always like hyped it up and was like, yes, we get to go on a road trip. And it's, you know, you can pick any snacks that you want. You can pack out the back of the car with as many pillows and blankets. You can take the portable DVD player. And half of y'all are probably like, what's a portable DVD player? It's all good. It's like a mini laptop looking thing. You stick the movie in, you can watch it. It's all good. Um, and so they would hype it up and they'd be like, yes, like you can get to go play outside. You can go down by the lake and you can uh, climb trees and be adventurous and do all of these fun things. And so they would always like really hype it up for me. But each summer, you know, after my parents really hyped it up, I was quick to forget just how miserable an 18 hour car ride down to Louisiana could be. My dad was one of those like road conquering people that like he did not like to stop. He would like switch off with my mom and sleep for a couple of hours and then just like switch back and keep going. And so rarely did he like to stop. Um, also we would forget, or that I would have a tendency to forget, that um, my grandmother, she lived in literally the middle of nowhere. And that is not an exaggeration. The closest Walmart was over an hour and a half away. Um, there were no street signs. You had to know which mailbox and which like dumpster to turn at in order to like be able to find her house literally the middle of nowhere. Um, she had a very small house and she also had the meanest dog known to man. Like that dog was always trying to bite me. And so that's probably why I spent most of my time outside in order to avoid her dog. Um, but outside waited all of the fire ants that were in Louisiana. All, and they bit me every single time. Without fail, every summer I would come back home with like just fire ant bites all over me. And so don't get me wrong, like I loved my grandma. And I love seeing her. But by the end of that trip, like, I was ready to go home. But every summer, my parents would always hype up going to Louisiana. I would get excited for it, forgetting all of the stuff that I really didn't enjoy about it. And so the Israelites, they've been out of Egypt for about a month. And they began complaining to Moses and Aaron about how hungry they were getting to be. And so they begin to recall what it was like living in Egypt. And they begin to almost, like... Um, they begin to romanticize it, like thinking of it better than it actually was. And I think so often we do the same thing, that we enter into like hard seasons like the Israelites were in, and we forget like the faithfulness of God along the way. And we're quick to kind of point fingers and like, Lord, like, why did you do this? Like I would have, the Israelites, they're literally complaining to God saying, I would have rather died in Egypt than to be out here hungry. And they were reminiscing about like the food that they had to eat, the bread that they had, all of these things, all while forgetting like this really big point, they were slaves. Like you would think that this whole freedom from captivity thing would kind of trump like, okay, let me like have like all of this food right there readily accessible to me. Um, and so when we first read this story, you might kind of think like, okay, like maybe they kind of have a point to be a little like, upset with God, a little, you know, frustrated. Like, why would God let them be hungry? Why would he let them go hungry? But we actually see, there's a passage in Nehemiah 9.21 that says, you provided for them in the wilderness 40 years, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes, they didn't wear out, and their feet didn't swell. 
So when we read that verse, we understand that, okay, like in the wilderness, they had everything that they needed provided for them. God didn't let them starve. He didn't let them go hungry. Up until this point, you know, they may have like provided for themselves based on what they took out of the land of Egypt, but God had a plan all along. He wasn't going to let his people die in the wilderness. And so when they say that like they're starving, that they're hungry, it's kind of like them being a little dramatic. Like, you know, after a practice or like you've been hanging out with friends, you kind of like walk into your house and you look at your mom and dad and you're like, I'm so hungry, I'm starving. And the reality is, is like, no, you're not like, you're fine. Just wait like 10 more minutes until dinner's done. You'll be okay. And so we kind of see how um, they, they begin to accuse, you know, Moses and Aaron of, like, deliberately trying to, like, bring them into the desert to, to um, kill them and, you know, all of these things. And they wish that the Lord had killed them back in Egypt. And so we see where the Israelites, they kind of have this, like, tendency to favor being a little bit dramatic. And that's kind of what's happening here. Um, but I also think that sometimes, like, the Lord allows us to get to the end of us providing for ourselves for us to realize that we have a need for him. And I think that's what's happening here, is they've gotten to the end of like what they were able to bring for themselves, what they've been able to provide for themselves. And the Lord's like, okay, like you've hit your, the end of what you have. You've hit your, your breaking point here. Let me provide for you. Let me be the one to step in. And so the difficulties that we face, they oftentimes draw us near to him. And so that's the hope here is that the Israelites, they are turning to the Lord in this difficult season that they're in. So we're going to read a little bit further down, and it's um, verse 4, and it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day... When they prepare what to bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron, they said to all of the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glory, because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? So what we see happening here is that the Lord, he has heard their complaints. He has heard their grumblings. He's heard their cries. And in his grace and in his mercy, he decides to meet their needs. So he, if you were to read a little bit more in this passage, you'll see where in the evening he provides quail for them. um, And in the morning he provides uh, what's referred to as the bread of heaven each day. And so when you look in this passage, you might be asking, okay, like, what is manna? We see where it's called the bread of heaven. And it's actually pretty interesting. The first morning that the Israelites came out and saw this bread of heaven on the ground, they literally looked at each other and they were like, what is this? And so that's what it's called. Manna literally means, what is this? They had no idea what it was. Um, To this day, we still don't have like a clear picture or an understanding of what this bread from heaven looked like. It definitely was not like a fresh baked loaf of bread that you would see um, at a bakery. But it would, in the morning, the morning dew would evaporate and it would leave behind what the Bible describes as this thin flakes of frost like on the ground and so each morning they would have to go out and gather enough of this thin like frost flake type thing that was on the ground because it would melt under the hot desert sun it wasn't something where it was like oh yeah like let me sleep in like I'll get to that later like they had to get up in the morning to prepare for that and so um, apparently it could be prepared in like various ways it could be baked into like 
cake loaves. It could be cooked in pots. It, like it had a lot of different um, various ways to be prepped and provided for. And so it was very versatile. It was something that it wasn't this like one boring thing that they had to eat over and over and over again. It was something that could be created into some into various things. And so it's described as this like sweet like type of um, flavoring, kind of like honey. And so it wasn't this like bland thing. So manna. Um, What's interesting about this manna is that it was incredibly nutritious for them because if you think about it, you think of like a grown man and how much they eat in one day. I'm like, even you teenage boys in here, I'm pretty sure that like your moms are probably like, would y'all please slow down and stop eating all the food in the pantry? When you think of like what a grown man eats in a day, this right here, this manna, it sustained them a full day's journey walking through the wilderness. That isn't something that, like, you can just eat, like, a granola bar and, like, be good to go to walk a full day's journey through the wilderness. This manna had a sustaining element to them that allowed them to make it through um, harsh days of walking through a desert journey. And so this was a very unusual substance, but it was something that was very miraculous, and it was created for a very special purpose. And so manna, this became their food that they ended up eating in the wilderness for 40 years, up until they finally reached the promised land, and then it just stopped. It ceased. Once they reached the promised place that they were meant to be, it no longer um, was something that they had to gather. And so we see where God says this is something that he's going to test his people with. And um, this was to see you know, whether or not they would eventually obey the law that God was going to give them. And so we see where God gives very specific instructions. God is not a God of confusion. When he gives instructions, he gives something very clearly for us to understand. He's not trying to have this guessing game with us. And so he gives very clear instructions on what they had to do. And each day they would go out, gather only what was enough for that day. They couldn't go out and like stockpile for a week. They weren't allowed to gather more than what they needed for that day. But what was really cool is if they followed that instruction, it always lasted and sustained. They never ran short. They never had an oversupply. It was always the perfect amount. Another sign of this miraculous working. But we see where in verse 20 that um, there were people that did not listen to this, that they didn't obey the instructions that the Lord had given them. And so when they gathered an oversupply of what they needed, the next morning that they would wake up, it had all gone bad. There were like worms in it. There was a really gross smell to it, as the Bible describes. And so we see where it's like there was benefit in obeying what the Lord said. And when they didn't, there was um, a, a poor result at the end of this. And so each day, what's really cool is that they got to participate in a miracle. Like manna, that's not something that we see today. It's not something that we have um, the ability to experience. So each day they got to experience this miracle specifically for the people of Israel. But on the seventh day, they got to participate in another miracle. Remember how I said that, like, if they gather too much, it would go bad? Well, on the sixth day, they would go out, gather food, and they would gather enough for day seven because day seven was their Sabbath. It was a day of rest, a day that they weren't meant to work. And so God performed another miracle, and he told them, okay, gather enough for today and tomorrow. And the miracle is, is that it didn't go bad. It sustained unlike if they had done it on previous days. And so over and over again in the desert, we see this miracle that God provides for his people, and he did it over and over again for 40 years. 
There was never a day that was missed. He was faithful to always come through and provide for his people. But the thing is, is that this miracle in the desert of, like, providing food, you're like, okay, cool. Like, they survived 40 years in the desert eating this bread of heaven. Awesome. But the cool thing is, is that this is not just a story of, like, how God sustains his people in the desert. It's a story that actually points to something much greater and something that was to come. And it points to the person of Jesus. And so in John 6, we see this story where this people group, they had been following Jesus and they had been um, trying to find him and then they come across him and they find him. And they had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000. And so they were chasing after Jesus because they wanted to know like what Jesus could do for them. They wanted to know what they could get out of following Jesus. What could he give them? And so Jesus, he calls them out and he says, don't chase after the things that are going to perish. Don't chase after the things that I can give you but chase after what's eternal. And so they ask, okay, like, well, what do we do? And Jesus just tells them, and he says, believe in me. And so they say this to him, and it's in uh, John 6, um, verse 30. I'm going to quickly actually just kind of summarize this a little bit because it's a little bit longer. Um, But essentially what they do is they ask God to perform a miracle. And they say, okay, Hey, you remember our ancestors that were in the wilderness and they had manna provided them for 40 years? Can you do something like that just to like prove to us that you're Jesus, that you're sent from God? Prove it to us. And so Jesus, they're like, hey, give us the bread of heaven. And so Jesus, he, he tells them, um, he says, you don't need that because I am the bread of life. No one, come, no one that comes to me um, is ever going to go hungry. Um, and no one that ever believes in me is ever going to go thirsty. And so he tells them um, that all they have to do is that they have to come and to believe in Jesus. And real quick, I'm going to read verse um, 37. And it says, Everyone the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that I should lose no one to those who have been given to me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so what we see here is Jesus is comparing himself to, he calls himself the bread of life. He's comparing himself back to that manna that was given to the Israelites all those years ago as they wandered the desert. We see where, just like the manna that came from heaven, Jesus came from heaven. Just like the manna that was enough to sustain a person every single day, Jesus' sacrifice is enough to sustain us, uh, to provide our way for salvation. Jesus came to sustain, he came to fulfill, and just like the manna in the wilderness did. And so we see where Jesus says that he came down from heaven to do the Father's will. But what is the will of the Father? And he tells us, he says, the will of the Father is that every person that believes in Jesus would be saved and have eternal life. So Jesus has come for you. He is the bread of life. Bread, when you think about it, bread is filling. Jesus has come to to fill you, to sustain you, to give you eternal life. He came to rescue you, to sustain you. And now he tells us in this passage, he says, all you have to do is come to me and you believe. We would be left searching for so many other things if Jesus wasn't the one that came to, that fulfilled us. And so When we look at what Jesus has done as the bread of life, as this example of manna, is that he has come to provide for us all that we need in order to have salvation. And so 
this seemingly like insignificant miracle, maybe, of the manna in the desert uh, for those 40 years was a lifeline for these Israelites in the desert. This seemingly insignificant baby that was born 2,000 years ago in a lonely manger that nobody even knew about, he is our lifeline, the one that came to provide eternal life. And so we come to know him as our daily source of bread, the one who satisfies, uh, the one who provides what we need for salvation. He came despite our brokenness, despite our sin, despite our mistakes, to die on the cross for us. And he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death so that we have a way to the Father in heaven. And so as the band gets ready to come up and as we get ready to uh, close out with one last song, um, I just really want you to think about this question of what is it that you are relying on in your life to sustain you? Are you relying on something that is going to be temporary, that isn't going to be lasting, that isn't going to be fulfilling? Just like the manna that the Israelites ate, it was something that sustained them every day. It was something that sustained them all through the day. Jesus is the one that has come to sustain us each and every day, eternally. And so um, I'm going to pray for us real quick uh, before we jump into this last song. God, I thank you for the gift that is Jesus. God, I thank you for the greatest miracle that could ever happen. God, that when you came, or when Jesus came, that we had the ability to move from death to life. God, and I thank you for just that incredible gift that you have given us. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone in here that doesn't know you, that doesn't have that relationship with you, God, I pray that you would just start in their hearts to begin to question and wonder um, what it is like to have a relationship with you. And so, Father, um, I just pray that you would be with these students, um, and may this last song just be something that we take time to worship you and thank you for all that you've done. Finish my prayer.